Well, we're over the halfway point uh, as of today. We're heading on the downhill side of our Identity in Christ study. And I want to kind of remind you where we've been, if you're new or if you have a memory abilities like I do. We have basically said that this identity thing that we're talking about, it is really all about <clears throat> what we see when we look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, who do I see? What are those characteristics that that make me up that I think are the most important? What defines me as a person? For some people, it's their stuff, a hobby, a relationship. Some people, it might be their bod, their intelligence, their abilities. But God says, when, when you look in the mirror, I want you to see something that maybe isn't natural for you to see. I want you to look in that mirror and say, there's a child of the King. There's a priest. There's a guy that's accepted by God. There's an alien. This, this isn't his real world. He's just visiting. And, and we're going to see our identity because of who we are in Christ. We talked about that beginning step of understanding that was understanding our security in Christ. Excuse me, our, our acceptance in Christ. That in Christ I'm accepted. That when I trust Christ as my Savior, my sins are gone and God embraces me as His son or daughter. That, that we're justified. The gavel has come down in heaven. Not guilty, says God, about your sins, past, present, and future, if you are in Christ. That He looks at you and He says, you've been, you've been set free from this sin that beset you. Not that we're not going to ever sin again, but the consequences of that sin is gone, paid for by My Son. And that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's the reason that we can walk boldly into the throne room of grace. It's not because of who you are or who I am. It's because of how God sees us clothed in the righteousness of His Son. And so we are accepted by God. We don't always feel that way. I know I don't. I'm like Tom. I walk into God's throne room sometimes like this, and I'm sorry that I even am called your son because I'm such an embarrassment. And But God doesn't see me that way. I am accepted by Him. And then we said, not only are we accepted, that that acceptance in the family of God can never go away. That we are secure in Christ as well. He is our anchor. He's the one that will keep us in this family. There's no amount of sin that I can do or no severity of sin that I could commit that God would say, out! This doesn't happen. And, and there's nothing Satan could do. There's nothing anybody else could do that God would say, well, in light of that, you're not part of it. It's not going to happen. That you are secure because of what Christ has done. We gloried in the end of Romans where he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And if you have Jesus as your 
Savior, you are secure in your position before God. Well, that's a great start. And, and we really wanted to hammer that home because if you don't start there, the next part gets really hard because you keep going back and wondering about the beginning. But after you understand you're accepted and you're secure, we want us all to move on and start living a life on a daily basis that shows we understand who that guy or that gal is in the mirror. And when we understand and embrace how accepted we and secure we are, we start acting like it. So what I want to do today and next week is I want to talk about what it looks like and, and some words that paint pictures from the Scriptures of what it looks like as I follow Christ on a daily basis. And to get us started, I want to introduce you to a word that you probably know, but it kind of is the big picture word of who we are in Christ once we're in the family. It is the word significant. It sums up who we are in Christ. Now I want you to think for a second. You, if you're an older person, older than maybe five or six, you've belonged to some groups in your life. You, you, maybe you're part of a family. You're part of, of, a, of a group in your neighborhood. You're part of a group at work. You're, you're on a bowling team. You've been part of a lot of groups. And I want you to think, was there a group that I've ever been involved in where I not only felt part of the group, you know, I'm, I'm accepted and I'm secure in the group, you know, just because I threw two gutters and they're not going to kick me off the team. I not only am accepted and secure, but in this group, I feel significant. I feel significant. <clears throat> Jonathan would say this is a bad illustration, but I think it's a good one. That if you're the oldest child in the family, do you remember that day when mom and dad said, we're leaving and you're in charge? Yes, I am. And there will be no blood when you come home. That there's something about being the oldest that makes you kind of significant in the family. And, and mom and dad entrust the little ones to you sometimes. How about maybe you were on a football team or, or the volleyball team and you were not just on the team. You were the captain. You were chosen by the players or the coach as, as one of the captains to represent the team at the coin toss. I remember when I was in Little League football, you know, they just rotated it every week. But man, the week I was the captain, I'm just walking out there. Heads! Oh, crud. Oh, well. Maybe you're a Mary Kay consultant. I thought of you today. And, and maybe you were like, the number one Mary Kay person for all of the summer in our area and you won the trip to New York with your husband and you were just so proud. And, and I'm not just a Mary Kay consultant and part of it. I'm a significant one in these days. Maybe you're part of a small group and there's 12 of you in that group and you get a phone call from one of the people and they say, you know, I really got a problem. And I thought of you. Could, could I come over to your house tonight? You know, not when the group is there. I really don't want the whole group knowing about my problem. But I want you to know about it because I think you could help me. A time when you said, I'm feeling significant. 
When you're significant, you have meaning in the group. You have influence. You're, you're kind of special in a certain way. You're important to that group. And when you are a child of the Most High God, God says, all of you, all of you, just because you're in My family, I designed you to be significant. Remember that famous verse that we called out a few weeks ago that a lot of you might have memorized? It's one of those ones in Awana and stuff that we memorize. That, that reminds us how we got into the family of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. How? How did, how did you get into the family of God? Through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not all about works that no one could boast. Nobody's going to be walking around heaven. You know, here I am. I was so good. We're all going to be walking around like Tom and I. I shouldn't be here, but praise God. Uh, I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and man, I'm here, and this is wonderful. But you know what the very next verse in Ephesians says? It's kind of like, now that you're in the family by grace through faith, how does the family work once you're in there? Next verse, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, there's the in Christ, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God says, once you're in the family, we're not done. We're just getting started. And do you know who your dad is? I had a dad up in Chicago who was a pretty important executive for a printing company. And it came time at 16 that I'm trying to get a job. And my dad says, because of my position, I can get you an invitation for a... What's that called, honey? Interview. That's it. Wrong honey, but that's okay. I have an interview. She's really back there, but uh, she heard it. she heard it quicker. So I have an interview that I can set up and I, because I'm the influential guy, I can get you in there. Now you've got to do well in the interview to get the job. And God says, do you know who your dad is? Do you know what I can do and what I can get you into and all the stuff? And because you're my daughter, because you're my son, you are significant. I am significant in Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today and next week. You're not just in the family, you're accepted. You're not just secure in the family. You are a family member. Every one of you and me is significant in Christ. Next week we're going to go over a few different word pictures, but today I just want to settle in on what I would consider maybe the the most important word picture that I've found in the Bible that talks about What does it look like to be significant? And if you have your Bibles, I want to start out in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 39. First book of the Bible, chapter 39. If you didn't bring a Bible and you want to follow along, you can grab one in front of you. And we're going to be on page 40 in the Pew Bible. Talking about a guy named Joseph. 
Joseph was a significant son. He wasn't the oldest, but for some reason, Dad really liked him. Gave him a special coat. Didn't make the brothers very happy, though. Brothers threw him in a well. They were thinking about killing him, and then some Ishmaelites came by, and they're like, well, why don't we at least get some money from the guy? So they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites are on their way to Egypt. And that's where we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. And when the master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his personal servant, is what the NASB says. The NIV says, became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care. The NASB says, made him an overseer of everything he owned. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. How did you get into the family? Somebody bought you out of the sin auction and took away your sins by dying on the cross from you and made you part of the family. And now the master, dad, is looking to his children to entrust to them the stuff of his household. And just like Joseph would say, the the stuff in the house and the people in the house that I'm overseeing is not mine, it's the Master's. And God would say to us, hey, the stuff of life is not yours, it's mine. And because you're in my family and because you're significant, I'm going to make you an overseer as well. You don't have to turn there. Jesus talks about this. It's a very special word in Luke chapter 12. He says, as he's talking to his disciples about serving in the kingdom and stuff, he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? Manager. Have you ever thought of yourself as a manager? Some of you are managers at your work, so maybe you've thought of yourself. But this is a word in the Bible that means a steward. It means one who oversees his master's stuff and his master's household. And the Bible says in many, many different places that we are managers in God's family. We've been brought in. We've been accepted. We've been, we are secure. And now our role in the family, we're all managers to different levels and different degrees of God's stuff and with whatever He has entrusted us with. And it's not our stuff. It's His stuff. But we're managing it. We're taking care of it. I've told Jenny this. <clears throat> I have a dream about what my retirement job will be. I'm praying that Warren Buffett gets saved... And He entrusts to me 
millions and millions of his extra dollars that once he gets saved, he says, would you invest this wisely in the kingdom of God? Oh, I would love that job. Not, the, not, not, not for me, but that I would have the privilege of taking the boss's money that he's saying, you know, I want this invested wisely in the kingdom. Would you, I don't have time for that right now, would you invest it wisely? And I'm like, I am there. I can do that. And I would love to do that. I remember a day, I think it was when we had the boys, but the girls hadn't been born yet, because Jonathan was little. I remember the day that God didn't speak verbally, but He spoke very clearly to me. I had been a very impatient father that day, and Jonathan maybe deserved what he got, but how he got it was not a good way of doing it. My anger came out rather than my love for my son. And I was sitting there in my chair and, and kind of talking to the Lord about it, and he put his finger in my face, and he said, I just want to remind you of something. That is not your son. That is my son. Don't you dare treat my son that way. And it was the first time in my life that I had, start, I had started thinking in terms of everything that I have is an entrustment from God and it's His stuff, it's His kid, and I'm just privileged to be a manager, one entrusted for a period of time of that kid, that stuff. Ever since I've been a little kid, I was brought up in a home where you, you tithed, you gave at least 10% of your money to the church every week, and I've just, that's just been part of my life. But I remember the time when the same thing happened to me. When God said, wait a minute, I'm not talking about 10%. This isn't you take your money and do whatever you want with it and then as long as you give me the 10% that's mine, you can do it. No, it's all mine. Everything in your bank account is mine. And I want you to use it all well. And I started thinking about this issue of being a manager of God's stuff in this life. And some of you are saying, well, what kind of stuff? Well, it's going to be brought to you by the letter T today. Tangible stuff is what we're going to start with. And of course, we have, every one of us, some things that God has entrusted to us. And the first one is our time. We are managers of the time God has given to us. Now, if you take the sleep time away, at least for people like me who try and get about eight hours of sleep a day, if you take that away and you live about the same length that your average person lives, I wrote this down, you have 423,000 hours to invest in your life however you choose. Some of you have thought in terms of, well, as long as I give God His one or two or three hours on Sunday morning, I'm good, I can do whatever else I want all week. And God's just going, um, excuse me, it's all mine. As, as my child, it's all mine. 
And, and I want you to use it wisely. And I'm not talking about setting up tents in here. I'm talking about when you're at your job, use your time wisely in the way I would want you. When you're at home, when you're on vacation, when you're doing this, when you're... It's all mine. Are you thinking about how to invest your time that I have given you wisely? Remember that slide in week one? Can you bring that up, Becky? Here's what we said some people see in the mirror when when they're thinking about their identity. These are the things that really define them. Their bod, their sport, their house, their brains, their stuff, their cars, their guitars, whatever. I can guarantee you, I I am not kidding, I can guarantee you, if a person really sees themselves in this way, if you looked at their daytimer, for you young people who have iPads, that's a thing on paper that we write down what we're doing. And I know some of you have your iPads and you say you're following along in the Bible, but I know you're playing games. <laughs> but if you looked at your iPad at your daytimer or go back to your desk and look at what you write down and, and see what these people have A lot of time invested in your life. This lady in the corner, she doesn't wake up looking like that. It takes a long time to get looking like that. And I bet she goes to the gym on a regular basis too and probably the massage therapist and all that. She invests time. That guy with the soccer ball, he didn't just step out of kindergarten saying, hey, I'm good at this. He practices that for hours and hours and hours a day to make that. Those people with the house, we had a guy across the street from us in St. Cloud. He spent more time on his lawn in a week than I did the whole year. I used to say to him, just come over to my house. You can see my lawn even better. And wouldn't you want it to look really nice? This guy would be out there with like tweezers and stuff like that. I'd like, you've got to... His house and how it looked in his lawn was just everything to him. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if you really want to know what's important to you and maybe what your identity is wrapped up in and all that, look at your daytimer. Because it's going to tell you not what you say is important, but it's going to show you what's really important. And if God and being a child of the Most High is really important to you, it's going to play itself out some way in your daytimer. Romans chapter 12, I think this is what Paul is getting at. Another very famous verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy and how merciful He's been to you and to bring your cruddy bod into His family... To offer your bodies every day as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is what spiritual acts of worship are. If you think that this is worship, just what we just did, you know, Terry's guitar and we didn't have a drummer today, he was sick, but I mean, that's what worship is, and then we're going to go home, so we worshiped for about 15 minutes this week. No, Paul says. Every minute of every day is worship to the Lord. And so, am I going to wake up in the morning and go, you know what? Whatever you want me to do today, I know I got my plans. Of course I got my plans. But God, you can interrupt my plans anytime you want because they're your hours. 
They're your minutes. I'm just using them. We're recognizing that every hour we has is a gift from God. Just ask somebody who has cancer how valuable these days and weeks and months they have left are. They're dying of cancer. They're recognizing that every day is an act of worship. It's not what we do on Sunday morning, though that's corporate worship. My individual worship is how I live every day and how I invest in God's kingdom. And just like with our money, God's like, you know, if, if you're going to use that 16 hours today and then you're going to say, well, you know, if i got any left over, I'll maybe throw it your way, God. God's like, oh, thanks. And I'm not talking about quiet times here. Now, that, that's part of our devotion to the Lord and everything. I'm not talking about quiet times. I'm talking about how you use your time. I remember when the kids were younger on Saturdays, You know, dad wakes up being kind of the ducks in a row guy and I've got some plans for the day of what needs done and Jenny's got a list and all that. My kids do not wake up thinking about that list at all. They wake up thinking about, you know, I'm going to play, I'm going to read, I'm going to do this, I'm going to watch TV and it's Saturday! And I'm like, uh, we got to have a talk here. (laughs) I want you to invest in my plan with some of your time today and then... You know, you can have some time for fun and all that. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't. When God has given you 16 hours in a day, are you investing in it all? In His agenda? What's that look like? You could do this as well as I. I just started writing some stuff down. Looks like offering to take care of the single mom's kids next door on a Saturday morning so she can have some uninterrupted sanity once in the week. It means volunteering in the kids' program on Wednesday nights to keep the chaos to a minimum so they can at least hear the Gospel. It might mean mowing the widow's next door's lawn so she doesn't have to. It might mean swinging a hammer in Haiti to build a classroom so more people can hear about Jesus. Visiting a shut-in from the church once a, once a month. Making sure that person has people visiting them. Are you asking the question, God, How do you want me to invest the time and manage the time that you've given me? And we all have the same amount. How do you want me to manage that time wisely? Second thing is we all have some talents. And we need to be managers of the talents that God has given us. Some have this kind of gift. Some have this kind of talent. This ability. And everybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit in them and He's actually given you some very special talents as well. And we were in Romans chapter 12 later in the chapter and in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about all these gifts and how they're what's the work and stuff. But I love the way Peter gets just down to business and he says, so what am I supposed to do with these gracious gifts? I didn't get them because I'm so wonderful. I, I got them just because I'm in the family and, and, and they're gracious and God just gave them to me not because I deserved them, because He wanted me to have them. What do I do with these things? 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace. Same word as the manager word, just a different uh, verbal function of that word. Same word in its various forms. 
If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do so with the strength of God. In other words, whatever you have been given by God as a talent, an ability, a gift, use it for ministering to other people. And and manage well the gifts that He's given you. Can you imagine what the boss thinks of a manager who has given some gifts and buries them? If you want to know what God thinks, go back to Luke chapter 12 where we were before and keep reading. It isn't pretty. It is not pretty. But we want to be people who are taking the gifts and talents God's given us and using them the way God would want us to. And Eric Geiger in the book that you're reading and I are not embarrassed to say there is a very specific way God makes very clear in His Word that we should be using those talents. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Now about those spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. A lot of different kinds of gifts, same Spirit. A lot of different kinds of service, same Lord. A lot of different kinds of working, same God who works through them all and all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Why? For the common good. Who's the common good? Everybody look at each other. You're the common good. For the benefit of everybody else in the family. Is what he's saying. Oh, here we go again. Pastor Mark, work in the church, work in the church. Do something for the church. You know, I am not embarrassed to say that because it doesn't come from me. And Eric brought something up that I had never thought of. This is really good. What are we as a group? We are the bride of Christ. And if you are serving the bride of Christ, how do you think the groom looks at you? You know, if somebody came over to my house and said, Jenny, just because... I just love you and I know you're really busy right now. I'm going to do the laundry for the Fridays because I know this comes as a shock, but I don't do the laundry. Jenny does it. I'm going to do the laundry for the Fridays for the whole week. Well, not only would Jenny would be happy, I would be really happy with you too because you've done something for my bride. How do you feel when somebody does something for your spouse, for your kids, for your grandkids? Kind of warms your heart, doesn't it? And God says, this is my bride. These people are really important to me. And you need to invest your talents and your energies towards benefiting the people of God, even the ones in your family. That's why we had the ministry fair today. Between the services, we didn't have the regular donut time. We had all kind of booths set up that just kind of advertise what's going on at First Baptist Church that you could help with. In this way and that way, with kids, with lawn, with women, with men, all different kinds of options. Just here's what we're doing, and if you wanted to help, you could. And we're going to have it after this service, by the way. There's not a meal served. There's just like popcorn and lemonade and stuff like that. But they're going to be back down there. And if you didn't get a chance to go the first time, go after this service and just look around. Here's what's going on at First Baptist that you could plug into. It might be helping a kid over there or praying for the person who helps a kid over at Jefferson. It might be helping keep the flowers or the lawn or whatever. It might be holding babies. It might be ministering in the name of the Lord with men. or A lot of different things. 
But are you investing your time and talents with God's priorities in mind and specifically with the people of God's family specially in mind? Third T that we all have to invest for the Master and manage well is our treasure. We're to manage the treasures that God's given us. It's the money part, the stuff that we buy and, and the way we spend our money. And I've gone through this a million times. I, I just All I really want to say is to remember that in this arena, as I've preached about it, what keeps coming out over and over is the heart issues of money. Not exactly how many zeros there are on the check or how many dollar bills I put in. That's between you and God. But remember, God says things like in 1 Timothy, you can't love money because evil comes from people who love money. You can use money. You can love God and use money all you want. But you can't love money. And you need to be content with what God's given you. This is not about, well, I don't have as much as they do, so I'm no good. No, whatever you've been given. I had widows who have come to me and their limited income is not rising and their monthly rents are rising. Pastor Mark, I've tithed all my life and I am to the point where I'm not sure if I tithe, I'm going to be able to eat. I said, you know, you just need to go talk to the Lord about that because I don't think He's going to mind if it's 7% next month, you know? I don't think He's got a calculator out. He's looking at your heart. What do you want to give? And that's Old Testament anyway. New Testament is proportional, how much you're given, you give back, and and sacrificial. What what does a sacrifice look like for you? Do you ever give till it kind of changes something in your life or it hurts? Or do you just kind of throw off the top? I love what Luke says in Luke 16, nobody can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It it can't happen. And if you love the Lord and you're serving Him, you can use God's money for His benefit and for your benefit as well, but you can't love it. And God looking for an attitude that is good, 2 Corinthians 9 Remember this, whenever whoever sows sparingly, they're going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. You're never going to have me begging you to give this exact thing. That's between you and God. But the Word of God makes it so clear that God knows your heart and your money, that's really His money, are tied very closely. And He is interested in how you invest all of His money. And it's not even if you're a tither. It's not just I give God my 10% and I can do whatever I want with the rest. God's saying, hey, it's all mine. How are you investing all of my money? So God wants good managers of His children. He wants us to manage His stuff well. The time, the talents, and the treasure that He's given us. But those are the tangible things that we kind of naturally think of. But there's another thing that the Scripture talks about with the same word, the same manager word, that we are managing well. And it's a spiritual thing. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about we're all on one team, we're all on one family in chapter 3. And then he starts chapter 4 this way. So then... 
Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and of those entrusted, same word, the managers of the secret things of God. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust or the managers, they must prove themselves faithful. So not only are we a manager of tangible stuff, we're managers of spiritual stuff. And you say, well, what what are these secret things of God? It's basically the message of Jesus. In context, He's talking about sharing the Gospel with people. Sharing the good news of what God was doing when He sent Jesus down. Uh, that, that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and that's why God sent Jesus. And so if you will just embrace Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and you can be part of God's family. A message that a lot of people that you know and I know don't know. Some people have a special role in this. You know, Paul's to the Gentiles. I'm a preacher on Sunday morning. But we all have been given this message to be good managers of, good stewards of. How are you managing that? Do you know it? If somebody walked up to you and said, I am in terrible shape, I know I just need God and stuff, would you pat him on the back and send him to me? Or would you say, hey, let's sit down and let's, let's, let, let me just show you what God says about Jesus and how He can be your answer. Do you look for opportunities to share parts of the Gospel with people in your everyday life? And do you take those opportunities? One of our teachers last week talked about in a testimony time that you know some bad stuff was going on in relationships and somebody just asked her, how do you handle that? And she was able to just go, I don't. But God in me can handle that. And with God's ability and and the fact that Jesus died for me and and how shouldn't I also just be gracious to everybody? And and you can share what God's doing in your life. And it doesn't have to be, you know, get out the four spiritual laws and go through the whole Gospel presentation. It can just be sharing your testimony with somebody. Or, Or just sharing... What I see God doing in these days that just reminds me of His faithfulness in my life as somebody brings up a problem and encouraging them that God will be faithful to them. Or how the Gospel has changed your vantage point, your life, your thinking in whatever ways it has. A manager. Have you ever thought of yourself as a manager? Some of you are managers at work. If you're a parent, you are a manager, or or a grandparent even. You are a manager of some very important household things. (laughs) The people that God has entrusted to you. But I want to tell you today, if you are in Christ, if Jesus is your Savior, you are a manager as well. You're a manager of His stuff. The time, the talents, the treasures that He's given. You're a manager of of His message. The message of Jesus for this world. But you know what the coolest part of the whole deal is? Some of you in this room are not managers. When you look at your earthly job, it's like, you know, I, I'm more of a doer than a manager. That's fine. But it doesn't matter what job you have in life whether you're a stay-at-home mom 
or a garbage man, whether you are a pediatrician or a pastor, it, it makes no difference what you do in life. If you are in Christ, you are significant. Just by the fact of whose dad you're the kid of, and that he said, you are a manager of the time and the talents and the, and the gifts and the gospel that I have entrusted to my family. Now, forget what you do in life. Yeah, you've got to do that to earn enough money to support your family. That's great. But you are important. You are significant. You can make a difference in this world because you're a manager on my team. Let's pray. Father God, thank You. Thank You for the fact that You use ordinary, everyday people like us to do very extraordinary things in this world. Lord, I just think of the money that is available for Your use if every person in this room really saw that their money was Your money and what You could do with it. I think of the talents that are represented in this room and all that could be done because of people investing their talents with their neighbors, their co-workers, with the, the family of God, the people who need them. God, I think of our time and the thousands and thousands of hours that are represented in this room just for this week alone that you could use. But I know, Father, you don't push people very often. And you're waiting for invitations by your children to ask you to take what is yours rightfully anyway that they've been entrusted with for a period of time and use it for your glory. And I pray that you would help us to do that. And Father, if there's anybody in here who has never trusted Christ, help them to know they can't do that. Because they're not empowered yet by Your Holy Spirit. They're not part of the family. But all that You want from them is their faith in Your Son and His death for them. God, if there are any of those folks, I'd love to talk to them after the service to show them how easy it is to be part of Your family and how You desire them to be there. But for the rest that have trusted in Christ, would you help us to see ourselves as managers? Significant people in this world that can do significant things because of you working in us if we will just wisely manage the time and the talents and the energies and the money and the gospel that you have given us. Thank you that you've entrusted us with that and the trust you have put in our lives Help us to do it well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Like I said, downstairs, if you weren't able to visit between the services, I purposely tried to get done about five minutes early today so that you'd have time to run downstairs, look at the, the booths there with the tables. All it is is an advertisement. There's nobody going to be twisting any arms or anything like that. It's just an advertisement of what's going on around here that if you wanted to get involved, you could get involved in 
And I pray that especially if you would say, I'm really not that involved, that this would be something that might trigger something in your heart of that looks like something that I could get excited about and maybe I could talk to somebody about how I would do that. Father God, thank You for all that we know is true about our relationship with You and how graciously You have made it so wonderful and how significant we are in this family relationship. Use us as we leave this place and as we continue to worship You all day long and and all week long until we come together again next week to worship You together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.